Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three road crew workers with nothing better to do. I'm Austin Terry, and I'm joined, as always, by my best pals, Matt Johnson and Keith Baker. Matt, how are you today? Were there road crew workers in this movie? A young Arvin joins a blacktop crew or something like that. Oh, you're right. Forgot. There's so many different stories in this movie, I can't keep track of it. But I'm doing good, ready to talk about a new movie. Keith, how the hell are you? A little under the weather this morning, but besides oh, that... Keith, what what are you under the weather from? I drank a little bit too much uh, vodka oh, last shit. night. <laughs> I can't relate. I can't relate. So, but... I'm excited to talk about this weird movie. Whoa! Well, on today's episode, we are taking a trip to rural Ohio and discussing the Netflix original movie, The Devil All the Time. This is a dark psychological thriller that lives by the motto, everything is terrible. We have an all-star cast, a relatively unknown director, and a popular book for the subject matter. Sounds like a recipe for success, right? Matt, give us some thoughts so we can get to it. My thoughts are, the first half of this movie, hey, this is a good movie. That was my reaction. My thoughts on the second half? Oh no, it's not a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> they were halfway there, in my opinion. Let's get into our movie facts segment and let's start with our cast. And we have a long cast here. So bear with me. We have Bill Skarsgård as Willard, Tom Holland as Arvin, Michael Banks Repetta as Young Arvin, Jason Clark as Carl, Riley Coe as Sandy, Robert Pattinson as Reverend Preston, Sebastian Stand as Lee Bodecker, and Haley Bennett as Charlotte. Yeah, it's a big cast. Very, very big cast and some pretty big names in there as well. As for the production, I couldn't find a whole lot of trivia on any like production drama or anything. However, I guess the biggest thing is Chris Evans was originally uh, supposed to play Sheriff Bodecker, but he had to be recast due to a scheduling conflict, which is why we get Sebastian Stan. Why are they recruiting from the Avenger movies? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) they have to. They're recruiting from Team Cap, but thank God Chris Evans didn't play that part because, I mean, nobody should have played that part. That, That was the worst part in the movie. I don't know why that character was there. I, you know, it's based on the book, so you got to do what you got to do. But the entire movie I was watching, I was like, why is this sheriff a character? (laughs) (laughs) And then the only other thing I have to say is every fucking review article or anything I read about this film made sure to point out that the author of the book, Donald Ray Pollock, is also the narrator of the film. So we should all be thrilled that we got the author of the book involved in the film as well. I kept seeing that everywhere as well. I mean, it was cool. I mean... The narration. He did a great job, I thought, but I just yeah. don't know why that needs to be on every piece of trivia for this movie. I thought the narration was pretty worthless in terms of like, it just felt like, I don't know. I don't know how to... What, it what, felt like you were reading, he was just reading the book because he was like... I think it was. And then, and then Arvin said, and then Arvin, and then Arvin would say something. Yeah, I think he was reading like actual like text from the book, but I guess what I'm saying is... Yeah, it would basically like we would watch a scene and it would like Arvin would yawn and then he would the narrator would go... And Arvin was tired. And it's like, yeah, I know. (laughs) That's how the (laughs) narrator... This film is so dark. I just think they were trying to use the narrator as like a... To to try to add like some levity to the film. I think that's the only reason he's there. I just didn't work for me. But it was cool that like, you know, the author was involved in kind of a cool way, I guess. But I just didn't really care too much for the narration. 
So let's get into this reception. Um, this was released on Netflix. It's a, it's a Netflix original movie, so we don't really have any box office figures. However, it was number one on Netflix for its first two days, and then it uh, would become number three overall for its first week on the platform. So I'm not sure if that's considered successful or not. Um, it does have a 65% on Rotten Tomatoes currently. And as for the things critics liked, uh, they praised the overall performances from the entire cast, with Tom Holland getting special shout-outs from multiple critics. Um, critics also found the world of this film very interesting, but also extremely dark and pessimistic. Um, some of the negative was the critics felt that like individual stories were really interesting, but didn't think they come together to make a good film. Um, they also felt parts of the film were just dark for the sake of being dark, and basically the film will keep you watching, uh, but you won't necessarily enjoy yourself for doing so. Um, I'll just go real quick since I kind of already, I guess, said my, you know, thoughts on the movie. I mean, my my basic thoughts are if you're somebody that's thinking about watching this movie, I think you need to be ready for something that's really dark. I mean, there's really not much levity here, so be prepared for that. Um, there's good performances, no doubt, like the reviewers pointed out, I think. This is a huge ensemble cast with a lot of big names, and they pretty much, I would say, all of them really do bring it. Even some of the smaller parts are really, you know, brought to life by big and great performances. Um, yeah, I, I just, I guess my only problem with the movie is I was so into it for like the first, I don't know, I don't even know if I would say half. I would just say I was really into it until the first, what I would call major or main storyline ended. And then once that ended, I was like, okay, cool. That's the end of the movie, right? And then I was like, oh, they still have all these other weird storylines that aren't anywhere near as interesting to wrap up. And I felt like they kind of wrapped them up in really lazy ways. And I just really wasn't into it by the time it ended. So that's kind of how I felt about it. It'll kind of, you know, once the credits rolled, wasn't too into it. Yeah, I think if you're looking to see some of these big big Marvel actors that we kind of touched on, like doing something different than their superhero roles, I think this film is definitely worth checking out. Um, like the critics said, I do think Tom Holland gives an incredible performance here. And I, I think I kind of enjoyed this movie a little bit more uh, than it sounds like you two did. Um, I don't think it really sticks the landing with the ending, but I think everything up until like kind of the last 20 minutes of this film is great. And definitely, since we're all at home and got nothing better to do and it's free on Netflix, uh, it's definitely worth checking out for the price. Yeah, um, for me, I remember seeing the trailer, and I think the trailer kind of painted a different picture for the movie, for me at least. I think it kind of highlighted some characters that you th that you think were going to be bigger, but weren't, and it kind of went in a different direction. The acting, I think, was great. I mean, they, everybody acted well, uh, no problem there, but I think the story for me just kind of, I think, like you said, Matt, I think it just kind of started diving in a, in a in a, in a way that I think they could have done better with. I don't know. I think there were some characters they probably could have uh, uh, elaborated on and probably yeah. made them, you know, highlighted them a little bit better. So I agree with that. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into the film now. Um, as we've kind of touched on, this film does have, you know, three different timelines and it does jump back and forth a lot. So for the sake of this episode, we're just going to go timeline by timeline. So let's start with World War II in 1950, the earliest time timeline in this film. So we do see Willard, played by Bill Sasgard, finds a man crucified in World War II. And then that will, that will kind of go on to haunt him for the rest of his life. And he's forced to, like, mercy kill him. That first scene was 
the first disturbing <laughs> thing in the movie. Yeah. With the, uh, the crucifix. Yeah. I mean, like Keith pointed out, that's how they started the movie. So pretty dark and like, oh, this is the kind of movie we're in for. Um, it was it was scary. It was gory. It was ugh, seeing like this. What would you even call it? Like skinned or flayed person on a on a yeah. cross and ugh, it, it was just hard to watch. But it was effective in the sense that this moment is supposed to apparently, you know, change this man for the rest of his life. And I think they did actually really great job of actually visually showing us a scene saying, oh, this fucked me up for the rest of his life. And then we actually, as the audience can go, okay, yeah, I get that. <laughs> like, yeah, you would understand yeah, why that sure. is. Especially a man of God at that point seeing somebody basically being crucified and then because of that kind of leaving faith and then maybe finally being able to come back to it later but with a kind of like a more dark view on things and more like obsessed kind of view on it um so it really does do a great job of like setting up a bunch of different plots of this movie and kind of character motivation as well yeah, and I also really like how in this opening they do a really good job of setting up like where the three locations that we are going to be in this film are. Um, we have Knock and Stiff, and then we have Coal Creek, and they're both Ohio, and they're te- I think they say 10 hours apart. And the only way to get to either one of these cities is you have to run through Meade, Ohio. So they established that these are kind of going to be the three cities that we're going to be playing in. Um, and I think this is just a really effective way of, since we are going to be in multiple time frames, like setting up like how uh, like small town ties run together and how like generational trauma is going to like be passed down through generations. Yeah. 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 They did a good job with that. My only critique on that is, uh, and I think this maybe goes to the acting too. um, They kind of made it feel more Southern than it really was. I think not saying that Ohio and West Virginia aren't the South, but they really aren't. It felt more like a Mississippi kind of uh, uh, yeah. movie to me a little bit everybody in this film is trying to do country accents and it, yeah it, I, to your point keith it does definitely sound like it's more like southern like baptist type people than like yeah. the midwest yeah that's, that's a good point from it especially for all of us growing up in texas there was definitely there were some moments where i was like is this how it was in ohio <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. I, it's, i'm not like criticizing you know the historical accuracy i just there were there were some moments where i was like is this what it was like i didn't know that but it's kind of interesting that you guys bring that up because like this film is supposed to take place in ohio but they filmed in alabama so it See, definitely yeah. does give that southern filling as well so to keith's point yeah. it's like yeah it did feel like mississippi or somewhere like in the deep south because they actually yeah. filmed it there but then just told us it was ohio which is a little bit strange i mean why didn't they just film it in ohio I don't know. Um, so I guess kind of the other, there's really two other big like moments in this like 1950s era. Um, Willard returns home from the war and goes to this diner in Mead, Ohio. And that's where we're kind of, we're in, we're kind of introduced here to like all the big players in this film. So he meets his future, his future wife, Charlotte. And then there's another couple who are meeting for the first time. And that's Carl and Sandy. And man, I wish it would have, their storyline would have ended there. <laughs> <laughs> I just I didn't really, yeah, we'll get to it, but. They did do the whole thing. It's like, this movie's about, like, interconnected stories. So, of course, they have to just, like, randomly bump into people. Um, literally just at a diner. Like, I think Jason Clark's character is going to sit in a seat and then Bill Skarsgård walks up and then he's like, oh, you take it. And then that, he sees his wife and then Jason Clark sits somewhere else and sees his wife. So I do think the narration here is very effective because it does, he does kind of tease, like, this couple would go on to... 
like murder 14 people or something like that and it's like oh how, how is that going to happen like i think it, it does a good job of sucking you in here and making you want to f- find out what's going to happen with these different characters and they got the the period down right too he definitely felt like you were in the 50s mm-hmm. in that yeah yeah i agree with that for sure um, so Willard does eventually make it home to Coal Creek, where we're introduced to his mother. And what did you guys think of his mother in this movie? Because when we're first introduced, I thought she was going to play like the stereotypical, like really strict religious character that we usually see. But she actually ends up later on in the film becoming like a like a just a genuinely nice person who like does her best to take care of this family that's been through so much. She seems like the kind of lady who wasn't all into the um, like the uh, like the other characters were the glory of God kind of characters. Like she. She went to church and she was religious, but she kind of still had her suspicions with the preachers. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, no, I agree. I think um, it was nice just to see a good-hearted character. <laughs> you know, I feel like in movies and TVs, like everybody has to have like a dark secret or shit like that at this point. And it was nice for once just to see somebody that at first you're like, is there going to be any more to this character? And there really isn't. They're just a nice person. That's that's kind of their gimmick. <laughs> so I like seeing that, especially since the movie, as we've talked about, is so dark and all most of the characters do harbor like these dark secrets. It was nice that this matriarch figure is just really nice. Uh, so that kind of the last big event of 1950, they go to church and there's a, a new like charismatic guest pastor who's like feels like a showman and he like dumps spiders on himself and uh Willard's mother is trying to set him up with Helen, and she ends up falling for this charismatic pastor. And how could you not, Austin? How could you not fall for Dudley Dursley himself? (laughs) (laughs) I was talking with Keith last night, and I was like, did you know that that was Dudley Dursley? And he was like, yeah. I was like, oh, I had no idea. (laughs) I I didn't know that either. (laughs) Yeah. Like, he looks so different to me now. And I just watched that, like, Netflix movie, The Old Guard, like, a couple weeks ago, and he's the main villain in that. I was like, damn, okay, Netflix is teaming up with Dudley. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why. I recognized him right away. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's Dudley. Yeah. But, yeah, I kind of liked how this um, storyline didn't take up too much time, but it is really impactful and leads to such an – I mean – feeds right into the main plot of the movie both thematically and just physically by them having a daughter but yeah it was cool seeing you know mia wasikowska i I thought based on the trailer and her being a bigger actress i thought she was going to be a bigger part in the film but she falls for the preacher and you kind of get it because people like that i mean so charismatic and so involved with the church it kind of just made sense i didn't have any problems with it and then i think i think her falling for the preacher really makes sense especially in this type of town because the church plays such an important role yeah. in like the social circles for these people mm-hmm. and i liked how the movie basically told us that she like he probably killed her but we didn't actually see that until later like we they just gave us the information that we needed at the time so they had a daughter and then and then she goes off for a drive with her husband never comes back and then the daughter basically becomes arvin the main character is kind of i guess what you what would you say Stepsister? I guess so. Yeah, stepsister. Yeah, stepsister. Or adopted sister. Adopted sister. Yeah, through circumstances. So I like how it fed into the main plot and obviously she becomes such a big character. So after the movie was done, I actually reflected back on it and I was like, that was one of my favorite storylines, the way they set it up because obviously Lenora would probably have a similar connection that her mom did to a preacher based on her mom falling for a preacher, even though she doesn't know too much about her family. I liked how he was the old preacher of the town. They had a kid. She becomes one of the main characters and then kind of develops her own 
what becomes a pretty perverse relationship with the preacher as well, for kind of for the same reasons, being drawn in by charisma, except for her, it doesn't work out so well. So reflecting back, I thought this was a really great setup and I really enjoyed the performances here. Yeah. And I thought, I really thought we were headed towards like, uh, like Roy ends up killing Helen. And so I thought we were headed for like the rest of the movie was going to be like us trying to figure out what happened to Helen and people never suspecting the preacher. That's where I thought we were headed, but we don't really end up that way. No, he just, um, he does it. We come back to a little bit later. We actually see the scene. We see him do it, which is hard to watch. Um, just because it's just, I guess it's just a dark side of religion where he, he's just so overcome with the power he has in this town through religion that he literally stabs his wife in the neck and then tries to resurrect her. And then basically immediately after is like, how did this not work? And it's like, yeah. come on, man. Kind of sad. Well, and also kind of sad for him too, though, because he genuinely believed he could resurrect her. Like he wasn't killing her out of like trying to be a bad person right. or anything like that. Yeah. And then he, like Austin said, um, it kind of feels like maybe this is going to play a bigger part in the movie, but ultimately he just runs into the lamest storyline as like bait, which is also what we can call Jason Clark and Riley Keough's storyline. <laughs> and then he just is kind of the first on screen victim of these serial killers. What? <laughs> like, didn't expect that. Photographers slash serial killers. Yeah. So he Here runs into them and is a victim and then he dies. And it basically, it only comes like the father and mother of Lenora only come up in conversation occasionally. But yeah, like Austin said, this is the end of that storyline. Yeah, and let's get into Carl and Sandy as well, because um, like we said, Roy does run into them uh, as he's hitchhiking, and uh, they are serial killers of hitchhikers, um, and Carl, they don't really explain what he's looking for here. He just wants to take photos of people having sex with his wife, and then he kills them, um, but they never really explain anything else beyond like why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah, I think he nailed it. I think he's <laughs> he literally, he's like... Hey, have sex with my wife. I want to take pictures. This is my art. And then I'm going to brutally kill you. And there's a shot later in this movie where they show him doing it and they show like he cut off the penis of the one of the guys and they show it. And then he, I was like, no, <laughs> it was so hard to watch. But yeah, I think he just gets off on taking pictures of, you know, men apparently having sex with his wife. And then he also has the compulsion to kill them. I would say he's a serial killer. And then for some reason, his wife, I don't know what you would call her. I don't know if you, if she technically would be one, but whether or not she is, she certainly is definitely accomplished. at least okay with him doing that, at least for a while. And then as the movie changes timelines, maybe she's not, but you know, it, it's kind of hard to say. I think their storyline is pretty interesting. I just think they do a terrible job of, of explaining. Like, I'm fine with Carl being a serial killer and he does what he's cause he does what he does because he's fucked up. I just don't understand. Like, they, they do a terrible job of explaining why Sandy's on board with all this. I guess, even though I agree, I guess I would say to play devil's advocate, you could you could make the play that. I mean, I guess he could just kill her if she tried to leave. He probably would kill her. So maybe that's why it's probably a combination. That's what I got from it. Yeah, that she was too scared. I think, to yeah, she's probably just too scared. I think in the beginning, though, she was into it. But clearly as it goes on, I guess she's just scared to leave. I don't know. Yeah, because later on, Sandy's like reflecting on the photos they've taken. And it seems like she's in, like enjoying herself looking at them. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, so, so she's probably a little fucked up, too. Yeah, for sure. I think that's exactly how the narrator describes her, too, Keith. I think they say, Sandy's always been a little fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so those are kind of the events in 1950. Let's get into 1957. 
Uh, Willard and his wife Charlotte, who he met at the diner, have settled down in the town of Knockamstiff. Um, however, they're seen as outsiders, so their son Arvin is always bullied because they don't have any blood ties to this town. Hey, your pappy and grandpappy weren't from here. I'm gonna push <laughs> you into the. <laughs> I'm gonna push you into the Jack's fountain, the soda fountain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i thought that was kind of a weird line i was like oh i guess that's how it was i feel like a lot of this movie was me just going oh i guess that's how it was <laughs> <laughs> the biggest thing we kind of get into here is willard and arvin's relationship uh willard has built a cross in his backyard and he takes arvin to pray there every day but he also explains to arvin that next time he gets into a fight he wants arvin to end it um so he he does kind of force religion on his son, but then also make sure his son understands that he needs to fight for himself as well. This 1957 sequence is my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, me too. Probably me too. I mean, it, uh, like I said, the first half, I thought this movie was solid and I really liked how they both visually and through dialogue showed how PTSD is being passed down through generations. Um, and I, we get to see him come back to the faith and how he, like, you know leads arvin into that as well and how his view and what's happened to him and both his relationship with god is passed down and also obviously it makes sense from what we've seen where he's like if you get in a fight you know fucking end it it's it's like all these like mishmashes of things that he's passing down but it's totally understandable and scary and it really i mean like some of the other things we mentioned it does set up a lot of the future storylines as well i i would say the problem with this movie is it doesn't set up as we already talked about the Carl and Sandy thing. It doesn't set up the other storylines, but all of this, like these themes and dialogue and PTSD being passed down, it does such a great job of setting up like the older Arvin Lenora with um, Robert Pattinson, like with the, with that preacher with like that, that main storyline is set up so well. Um, it just doesn't feel like the same care was given to the other ones, which is why the movie gets hard to watch as it goes on, I think. But all this stuff was great. I agree with you. Yeah, and we do have kind of a fucked up scene where uh, um, Arvin and Willard are praying in the woods and there's some hunters yeah. that they overhear a conversation where basically they're saying, like, we should go back and rape Willard's wife. Talking very loud. Here. Talking very loud. Yeah. And you can you can see on Willard's face that it's really pissing him off, but he tells Arvin, this is God's time, we'll deal with it later. And then the next day they drive into town and in front of his son, Willard beats the shit out of these people and he comes back and says... You see what I did there? That's what I want you to do to these bullies. And then the narrator says, this is the best day Arvin ever had. With his <laughs> yeah. It's like, <laughs> like, what? <laughs> and that, it, probably he almost fucked him up. Yeah, probably because uh, after that, Willard was like, hey, Arvin, you want some ice cream? And then the narrator's like, this was the best day of Arvin's life. It's like, okay. <laughs> I mean, I guess as the movie goes on, we see how his days didn't get that much better. But still like, yeah. oh, okay, cool. I, I, I do think that is really effective, though, of how like in any anybody else's life, watching your father beat the shit out of somebody, you would probably not look on that very fondly. But they do kind of like with the way Arvin's life is, he looks back and like this is probably one of his happier days because he did get the... Like spend the spend the day with his dad and get ice cream, <laughs> and there was a the lesson in it. His dad was like, oh. "Like you just wait for the right time. You always get yeah. Back he got to wait for the right. He time. got to spend the day with his dad and get ice cream. Who wouldn't love that? I always actually really liked watching my dad beat up his enemies as well, and then get like a <laughs> fucking Klondike bar after. <laughs> oh man. 
But yeah, Keith, like you said, you know, his dad does make sure to tell him like you got to wait for the right timing, which will kind of become Arvin's thing later on when he gets older and is forced to defend his sister. Um, and then unfortunately, uh, we return home and Charlotte, his our Willard's wife and Arvin's mother has cancer. And this kind of starts a downward spiral for Arvin's life and Willard's very short remainder of his life as well. Yeah, this is where things get start to get, oh no, no more ice cream, Arvin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, things get pretty much like they're all. It's all a downer after this. <laughs> yeah, and when he when he killed his dog, that was oh up. god, that was hard to watch. So sad. And then he had the blood all over his face. Ugh. I think this is super effective too. Like like I said, this nineteen fifty seven sequence is my favorite of this film. But um, you know, Charlotte, the cancer, the death sentence. There's nothing that doctors can do. Willard starts to believe as long as they pray, God will save Charlotte from the cancer. So he forces Arvin to continue pray as hard as he can and even starts like kind of beating his son a little bit, telling him to pray harder. And this is where Arvin starts to really sour on religion. And that kind of plays a theme for him and the rest of the movie. And then of course it gets even worse where Willard believes that a sacrifice needs to be made to God in order to save his wife and Arvin's mother. So he kills Arvin's dog and then kind of a bit weird, I suppose, pacing wise, he kills his dog and then he is remorseful he's sorry for arvin that he did that um and then i guess he just kills himself soon after right he kills himself when charlotte dies yeah okay which i couldn't really see because it was so dark he just stabbed himself i was a little confused um because of the lighting but i i assume i think he i think he slid his wrists oh yeah you're right you're right that's right uh so that really does kind of wrap up 1957 um arvin is taken to live uh with his grandmother and stepsister lenora in the town of Coal Creek. And that will take us in to 1965. Guys, it's 1965. We're getting close to the start of the hippie movement. It's a time of love and peace. Things should be happier here, right? They're not. <laughs> <laughs> no. Once again, we're in 1965 and everything is terrible still for this entire family and all these three of these towns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Orphan's not getting ice cream anymore. He's just being gi- he's just being gifted guns. <laughs> his yeah. uncle what do, they, what, do they, what do you call this guy's grandpa his uncle i don't know uncle Erskine. it's whatever. his uncle his uncle yeah, gets him a uncle. gun and then tom holland you know tom holland does a pretty good job i feel like with like a southern accent but i was still laughing thinking about him being a brit and he's just like this is the best gift i've ever gotten <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why that made me well yeah it was his dad it was the german luger yeah which i thought that, that was kind of cool. I and mean, that gun obviously also more of like a physical representation of the PTSD being passed down, and obviously he'll use that gun as the movie goes on. So, pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, like Austin said, I mean, you would assume maybe things would be a bit, you know, lighter now that he is in, in a weird way. I mean, obviously, I think he misses his parents, his dad, probably he has a bit more complicated feelings about, but I think he misses the good old days. But you would think maybe there'd be some levity here, being in a probably a happier household, but. Yeah, pretty quickly. It, um, you realize, you no know, things are still pretty bad. Um, you're kind of excited, like, oh, he has a good relationship with his sister. And then she's just, I don't even know what's happening here. I mean, I guess, like, bullies just literally chase her, like, out of this. The second school ends, I guess she apparently just has to start sprinting to the car because these fucking assholes are just chase after her. And, like, sometimes, like, they put a bag over her head and it's like... What the fuck? Uh, I, I really, were they about to rape her or something like that? Probably. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, pro- I would assume so. And then Arvin, they like 
that first scene that Keith is referencing, Arvin shows up, he, he, he kind of gets beat up, but that's kind of where the narrator comes in, and that's where we really establish their closeness as, obviously they have no relation, but, you know, just as being kind of brother and sister by um, circumstance, um, they set up kind of their closeness, which I, I thought was cool. Um, I like their relationship, but yeah, nothing's happier in the 60s, unfortunately. So Yeah, so Arvin, Arvin is kind of forced into the protector role of Lenora. Yeah. So he he will defend her from these bullies. Uh, Lenora is pretty much praying every day at her mother's grave. And then um, that also happens to be on the church grounds as well, which is where we are introduced to Robert Pattinson's yes. Reverend Preston. He was my favorite. I loved him in this movie. I thought he was so good. Well, you didn't like his, you didn't like his character, though, right? No. Now. <laughs> I don't like him as a no, person. I just like the performance. <laughs> Austin just has to check. Just got to make sure no one's coming at us in the comments. I love that creepy preacher. <laughs> Matt likes Robert Pattinson's character. <laughs> no, but his character was the one I was referencing earlier as far as they highlighted his him being kind of the main villain of the movie, I think. Oh, in the trailer, you mean? In, yeah, I'm sorry, in the trailer. Um, but he really didn't have that long of a part. Yeah, very short amount of screen time for Robert Pattinson, and he was kind of billed, like you said, Keith, in the marketing of this film to have a, to play a larger role. I still would say, though, uh, I, I, the way the movie is structured, both like story-wise, I do think even though he doesn't have like a lot of screen time, he is still probably the main villain, um, and I think he is really good, but yeah, um, based on what I saw from the trailer and having not read the book... Um, I thought we might see a bit more of him, but you know, it is what it is. Whenever he was on screen, I thought he nailed it. So, yeah. So this is this is definitely a very different role than we've seen Patson play in the past. Um, but that, like you said, now he does give a great performance here. So he he enters into a very predatory relationship with Lenora, um, kind of the the same dynamics that Lenora's mother fell for with the pre- preacher of her era as well. Yeah, it's pretty creepy how he uses his power, I guess, as a preacher to uh, seduce. Um, Lenora into thinking that she has to expose herself to God. Yeah, he calls it he calls it God's time, and then um, you know later on, Lenora does does become pregnant, and he is clear to say, "How could we have done anything wrong? We were on God's time," and basically saying he's not going to take credit for being the father or anything else. And he tells her she has to get rid of it. Yeah, tells her tells her to get rid of it, and then also gives a sermon on delusions, saying delusions lead to sin, basically setting up. <laughs> Delusions lead to <laughs> sin. <laughs> yeah. Um, so basically giving him a way, if she doesn't get rid of the baby, to say, like, if, if Lenore tries to say, hey, the baby's is uh, Reverend Preston's, then he can say, well, you're delusional, and the town will still stay on the Reverend's side. Oh, yeah. He did, that was definitely on purpose. Um, That's what's so creepy about those towns back in those days, and maybe some towns still today, that people just put all their... It's good to have faith in all that, and... and you know, do whatever you want with your religion, and that's cool. But people, some people, just have no suspicions at all with uh, the person representing yeah. their their god. You know, just definitely a heavy theme in this film is the um, power that comes with yeah being a revered preacher in these types of towns. And it's and she's not the last, just as well. I guess we might get into that, or or we might not. But it's it's not like the movie presents it as Lenora was special to him and this was his first time but I mean literally right after you know the big plot point of her unfortunately dying um we see almost immediately he starts another relationship with a young girl and so it's yeah 
it's just hard to watch people use power for those type of reason. And obviously there's real world connections to that. So it was hard to watch, but incredibly effective in terms of how they handled it. And I thought Robert Pattinson just did an amazing job. He was probably my favorite performance in the movie as this villain. So it was hard to watch, but I thought it was just so effective. Yeah. And I mean, kind of like we said in the beginning, I think if you are a person that enjoys individual actors' performances, then you definitely should watch this film if you haven't, just because oh, sure. a, a lot of the individual actors here do give great performances. Yeah. Uh, so Lenore does end up killing herself as a result of Ugh, this relationship with Preston. so sad. The na- this was like the one time I actually liked the narrator's insertion because they said that, I, I'll paraphrase, but they basically said as she's about to take her own life by hanging herself she uh the narrator comes in and is like and at that basically at that moment lenora decided you know what i'll make this work my life is worth living i have a good family i shouldn't do this i'll, I'll figure it out and then she like, kind of like just loses her balance and then unfortunately dies anyway i was like do we need that narration <laughs> it made me so sad oh so hard to watch and of so course sad yeah and then, i mean this film, this film wears you down with how dark it is. Like it's two hours and it felt like six, <laughs> just with how dark, with how dark it is. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. And then Arvin finds her, which makes it all the more sad. And yeah, just nothing they could do. Uh, so Arvin is later told by a local police officer that um, upon examination of Lenore's body, they found out she was pregnant. And Arvin has, it's very clear Arvin has always been uh, suspicious of this new preacher. And uh, he immediately suspects the reverend and kind of starts following him and sees that he has a relationship with another young girl in the town. Um, and then it leads to Arvin to realize, like, I'm going to have to kill this guy, basically. Yeah. He leaves, like, you know, a goodbye note to his family, apologizing for what he felt he had to do. And then, yeah, he goes to the church and kills him, which felt great. I loved it. Loved watching him do it. I was rooting him on. I was like, you do it, Spider-Man. Go get that ice cream. Um, <laughs> but yeah, what'd you guys think of this kind of climactic scene? This is what I was referencing earlier where I was like, cool. I was like, credits? No, no, no. <laughs> Not for a while. I thought it was so cool how um, Tom Harlan played Arvin in this scene with um, him just sitting in the pew with his hat down and the way he was talking, he was getting it. Um Robert yeah, Pattinson's character. I thought that was so cool. He says, I need, you got time for a sinner, pastor? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's exactly how he said it, though. Yeah. And uh, starts describing all the acts that he's seen Reverend Preston do. And you, can, I really like how you see the realization yeah. on Robert Pattinson's face in this scene. Um, and for a second, I was really worried that uh, Robert Pattinson was going to get out of this. But no, he gets shot twice. He gets shot twice yeah. by young Arvin. And he's dead. Dead as can be. That is one good thing I'll point out with this movie. It's pretty realistic as far as the conflicts with in, in gunfights. Like, that's actually how it would go down in real life. A lot of, because you know, in movies, a lot of times everybody always gets away, you know, yeah. somehow. Yeah. yeah. The, like, he just shot him. I was like, okay, that's actually realistic. So I like that. I also, I also really like in this scene how. Um, the first time Arvin shoots the gun, it kind of surprises him with the yeah. kick because he's never shot the gun before. Um, and so he kind of misses his first shot, which I thought was, you can, I just really liked the way it was shot, like in this scene with just the way, like the choreography was of how him shooting the gun, uh, the, the kick surprises him and his shot misses from actually the, from the first shot being able to kill Preston. Yeah. I also liked after Robert Pattinson turns around, he still doesn't know that's Arvin. <laughs> so he's just like, Take off your hat, boy. <laughs> <laughs> and then he, then that's when he realizes. I thought it was kind of cool because Arvin, like, 
they set up that he isn't going to church after that initial meeting. So, uh, yeah, this whole scene was great. And like I was joking earlier, it kind of felt like we should have got some credits roll after this. Uh, but then yeah. it's like, oh, wait, we have a bunch of shitty stories to go through. So let's do it. <laughs> so we've already covered like the bulk of the movie, but let's just run through these kind of last little storylines. Um, so Carl and Sandy are doing their serial killer stuff. Um, after Arvin flees the town of Coal Creek, he's picked up by Carl and Sandy um, and ends up killing them as well. Uh, we also learn that Sheriff Lee Bodecker is related to Sandy. Lee Bodecker! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like Sebastian Stanman as an actor. I, I can't speak to him as a person, but as an actor, I think he's made some great choices. I like his performance as Bucky in the MCU, and I like kind of the smaller roles he's taken, like I, Tanya and stuff like here. And he's good in the movie, I think. It's just, this was the character that I, I don't know why they were in the movie, other than the fact that they were in the book. But this felt like just such an obvious to me, and obviously I'm not, you know, a professional like, I can't speak to it, but this seems like he got to cut this character out, right? I mean, why is he in here? I mean, they have the weird reveal. It's like he's the brother. It's like, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. And then... Yeah. There's also a very weird corruption storyline oh that's not interesting God. at all. Every time they cut to his story, I was like, just cut back. Just go back to Arvin. I don't care at all what's going on Keith with this Keith and guy. I were laughing last night talking about that scene in particular. Like, they have the corruption scene in the diner and then the culmination that we're supposed to feel some kind of catharsis for is then he just goes to the house and kills them. And I was like, I don't care at all about this. I don't yeah. care about Lee's election coming up. <laughs> like, <laughs> so weird. I think I think they're trying to show that Lee will do anything to save his election chances. Oh, basically. I agree. Yeah. I just didn't care. <laughs> yeah. So Arvin is feeling drawn back to his hometown of Knock'em Stiff because um, he has some like unresolved things he needs to deal with with his dad and just everything he went through as a child. Um, so Carl and Sandy pick him up. Carl and Sandy end up dead. And then the sheriff from Cole Creek calls the sheriff Lee Bodecker and says, hey, we think uh, we think the killer of Reverend Preston might be young Arvin, who was born in your town. Yeah, like I keep saying young Arvin. <laughs> young Arvin. It was him. <laughs> yeah. Wheeler's boy. <laughs> yeah. But this, this is, is this, was this weird for you guys? I don't know. Maybe it was yes, the fact that. And I'll tell you why. Okay, yeah. I'll tell you why it's weird for me. Yeah. This is such a stretch for me because if you know anything about true crime or like serial killers during this era of the United States, you know small town uh, police precincts did not communicate across jurisdictions at all. Like that's the reason serial killers were so rampant in this part of America is because there was no communication among different police forces. So there's no way these two police forces would have been communicating with each other at all, hmm. especially since they're 10 hours apart. Yeah, that makes sense. Another weird thing for me, um, this is more like, I guess, story-wise, I don't even know what to call it, but I guess after I felt so much catharsis whenever Arvin killed Preston, it was just weird for me to then go from that, like he literally leaves that storyline, the main storyline, and then it's dropped off in Carl and Sandy's storyline. And then to watch him kill them, I was like, oh, that's how their storyline ends? Arvin just kills them as well? I don't know how to describe it. It just felt weird. Like, I, there was such a high of him finishing the Preston storyline, and then just basically the other storylines end by Arvin killing them also, and it just felt weird to me. Arvin just kills everybody. He just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, kills. basically. It's just, a, it's just a bit of a stretch to ask you as an audience member to believe that Carl and Sandy are picking up basically every main character of this film. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just way too convenient. Yeah, yeah. a little bit. Um, but he does make it out. He kills them. 
And then, like Austin mentioned, um, the sheriff calls Lee and is like, I think the guy that killed Preston also killed your sister. Um, and then that kind of leads to the one of the weirder, I feel like, final showdowns in a movie. I mean, did any of you guys care that the final showdown was between Arvin no. and Lee? Like, who cares? And thinking about who's still alive, I get it. I mean, who else could it be? I mean, other the only play you could make is Arvin, like, tries to kill himself, I guess. But... I mean, this was so weird. I liked seeing him go back to his old town, finding the cross in the woods and finally burying his dog and what that meant for him. That was great. But then once Lee enters the scene, I'm just like, we don't care about this character. I don't care about his yeah. relationship with Arvin, which basically just his relationship with Arvin was just he picked him up uh, whenever um, Arvin's dad you know, killed himself and drove him somewhere, I guess. And then he gave him such weird advice where he was like, some men are born just to be buried. And it's like, okay, I mean, full <laughs> line, but, uh, and then th- th- this is the final showdown. <laughs> it's just so weird. I don't know. This whole thing was weird for me. It's also a very weird scene because uh, Lee, sh- Lee gets out to this property very quickly <laughs> yeah. after that phone call. <laughs> yeah, just um, shotgun in hand, ready to murder. And also kind of weird because back whenever uh, Arvin first gets the gun, his uncle goes, you don't want a pistol, you want a shotgun. And so, of course, like, Lee is, has a shotgun. I don't know if that was supposed to be, like, some, like, weird callback to that line. But Lee has a shotgun. Arvin's got a pistol with, I think, only one bullet. And uh, they're, like, yelling at each other and having a conversation. But somehow Lee can't figure out where Arvin is, even though they're, like, 10 feet away from each other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because Arvin was yelling, like... <laughs> I'm just I'm not. and then and then Lee Sheriff, <laughs> I killed him, but they were bad people, Sheriff. I promise. And then Lee was just talking in a no- like, "Hey, Arvin, uh, <laughs> he's talking in a normal tone." <laughs> yeah, I told to- you, Sheriff. I'm, I'm sorry, Sheriff. I'm sorry. It's also kind of weird too because it it feels like in this scene, Arvin almost wants Lee's like approval. For yeah, what he did, but Arvin doesn't know anything about Lee at all, so it, it just doesn't seem like. And Arvin also doesn't feel like a character that needs approval from anybody except maybe Lenora. I also don't think Arvin knew that it was his sister. He didn't know until that scene where Lee's like, "You killed my sister and her and her husband," and he's like, "Your oh, sister was no good." He's like, "Oh fuck, your sister was no good." Can you drop me to get some ice cream? <laughs> <laughs> and then the narrator comes in, is like. The thought of getting ice cream was, with Lee was the best thought he'd ever had. <laughs> <laughs> Credits roll. <laughs> yeah, this is such a bad scene. And then, of course, they get in the shootout. Lee literally shoots a shotgun at like two feet away from Arvin and doesn't hit him. And then Arvin just shoots him in the chest and he dies. And then they, I love that they introduced this weird, like, fucking Batman storyline where he's, like, apparently planting evidence on all his bodies. Like, he, he puts a note on Preston that says, here's what the Reverend was doing to all the girls in the town. <laughs> and then he, like, takes, like, one, like, a fucking uh, photo from the serial killers and plants it on Lee. It's like, his sister was helping a serial killer and here's all the people they killed. <laughs> It's just so weird. He's like a hero, apparently. <laughs> Lee is killed by Arvin. Uh, Arvin buries his gun with the bones and then uh, goes back hitchhiking and is uh, hitch- picked up by a hippie. And the credits and the movie kind of wraps up with Arvin daydreaming about his past and his, and his future. 
Um, and I actually do kind of like this daydream scene, but we do like in his daydream, he sees like Vietnam, he sees a family and then like the, the movie kind of fades out when the credits roll. Yeah, I thought it was a cool last scene. I, I didn't like anything after the Preston storyline, but this last scene I thought was solid. I liked how they played with the whole daydreaming about past, present and future, which was a cool thing to think about. I like how there was no yeah. montage. It was basically just you, the audience member, have to visualize it while watching him daydream, which was cool. And I was also... I was happy that there was no weird surprise here because, like, once he got picked up for some reason, I felt uneasy. Like, maybe this is going to end with Arvin getting, like, shot in the head or something. Like, um, Well, every, everything is terrible yeah, in this maybe movie. That's so I, I honestly that. thought – I really thought that that was going to yeah. happen, especially since he buried the gun. Yeah. Like, I thought the narrator was going to come in and say, Arvin should have never buried that gun. And then it just cuts to, like, Arvin's corpse on the side <laughs> of the road. <laughs> And then the movie fades to credits, and then the narrator is just yeah. like, and that was the last day of Arvin's life. And it's like, we know, we can see it. <laughs> or, and that was, the, that was the second best day of Arvin's <laughs> life, because he didn't have to live in this world There's anymore. Like an ice cream cone laying next to his corpse. Um, <laughs> yeah, I thought uh, it was a great last scene. I liked um, how they played with the daydreaming, and I liked how Austin, like you said, they it literally like the narrator stops talking, and then it just fades. It just fades out over time. I also I don't know. What you, I thought it was kind of cool to see an actual yawn in a movie. Did you guys? Did you it was guys a long ass yawn. When he was yawning, I was like, "Oh my god, when is he going <laughs> to stop yawning?" Jeez, <laughs> and that was the longest yawn of Arvin's life. <laughs> Okay, so that was kind of the bulk of the plot. Um, but as our audience knows, there are there always are some like smaller things we like to talk about in these episodes. Um, so let's just get into some like quick hits here. Was there like any other smaller stuff that kind of jumped out at you guys for this film that we haven't talked about yet? I like the scene where Arvin tells his grandmother to not worry about spending too much money and just get the food that she knows she can make. And then what that leads to at the church where, oh God, talk about a fucking villain introduction where the preacher calls out whoever made the quote-unquote, yes. I guess, cheaper food, um, regardless of how good it is, um, calling it out how people, even people that don't have a lot, can still mean something to the community, and he's just shitting all over poor people, and then it's cutting to oh, it's no. just cutting to, like, Arvin and his uh, grandmother like, just near tears. It's, it's just so hard to watch, but that was it was a well... I, executed scene but it was another one in this movie where i was like oh this is so hard to watch um but you can just see on the grandmother's face like the social standing in the church means so much to her and she's just devastated by the sermon uh so i saw quite a bit of critics saying they felt this should have been a tv show do you no. guys do you guys agree with no. that like maybe like a no. miniseries or something no. like that no no <laughs> i don't want to be miserable for <laughs> they already weeks. have tv shows with the same feeling like ozark and all that yeah shit. like you or true detective yeah. you, 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 we don't need any more. We already have enough. It's one of those weird things where it's like I didn't even I didn't even really want the other storylines flushed out. I just didn't care. I don't care about what Lee needs to do to get reelected. I don't care about what these serial killers are doing. I mean, yeah, I don't think this would have worked as a TV show for me personally. Um, so we kind of it does sound like for all of us the movie kind of falls apart in the second half. Um. How how do you how do you guys think you guys would fix this movie? I think for me, uh, I don't think you need Lee, which is kind of like we already talked about. I think you cut Lee's character. I think you spend more time 
I think you keep the serial killers, but I think you spend more time fleshing them out. And I think you can even still have them pick up Arvin. But I think if we had spent more time with their characters, it might have just been like a more like intimidating, stressful scene when Arvin does get picked up by these characters. I think you just need to do more with Riley Keough's character, Sandy, I guess. Um, Because it's one thing to root for characters like Tony Soprano and Walter White. Um, It's different when you're asking me to like maybe a root for a serial killer. I don't think the movie was doing that, but I don't think there's any way you could flesh out Jason Clark's character to a point where I'm like, yeah, cut off that guy's cock. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, No, no, that's no, not no, what I, I mean. I mean, flesh him out to make them more scary. Built out her character more, which the movie tried to do. They gave her a couple scenes of just her by herself. I think maybe that would have been an alternative, but again, it, it's just tough then because like if they pick up Arvin, it's like, supposed to be sad when he shoots her she tries to kill him but there's blanks it's like yeah i I don't know how to fix the movie i i think in a weird way if if they had just cut out all of these weird intertwining stories and just put a little bit more time put in some more details i suppose spend a bit more time with some of the family members of the main storyline maybe that could have been cool you could even keep like the willard stuff at the beginning and dudley dursley killing uh, Lenora's mom. You could keep that stuff in there and just, like, halfway through the movie, it transitions to an older Arvin um, and then just focus on that. Just build that out more. Because, just for me personally, I didn't care about any of the other stuff. So, if, if I'm going to try and fix the movie, I'd probably just spend more time on the main storyline. But, that's just me. I agree with all that. And I would just say, highlight or um, make uh, Preston's character more heavy in the film. Yeah, maybe maybe you kind of touch on, like, all these towns he's preaching in the past have just been like left broken by him or something like that. Like that could have been pretty interesting. That would have been cool. I feel like that's probably the case. I also, something else, something else I kind of wanted to see too was I kind of wish Lenora hadn't killed herself because I, I thought, I honestly thought later on we were going to get her like getting more curious about her mother's death and then like her and Arvin looking into it. And then that would, I think that would have better tied together the serial killers as well. Yeah. I think her mother's death definitely plays into the movie both thematically and then just kind of visually whenever we start seeing her interact with the preacher as well supposed to be kind of you know representative of her mother but to your point it is weird that we both like get the narrator being like and her mother never came home and then like later on we actually see what happened to her it is weird that then later in the movie i think even arvin says something like you still lack your daddy and then she's like, of course I do. Who knows what happened to him? Could still be out there. Yeah. It's like, well, we know the answer. And also, there's nobody, I guess nobody cares. <laughs> so, yeah, to your point. Yeah, they don't even address her mother ever again in the yeah. film. I guess they do since she's praying, but that nobody talks about the it. The director of this movie has, like, on Mia Wasikowska, why she was only in this movie for, like, two minutes as the mom. <laughs> <laughs> she's a pretty well-known actress. Like, was she down to play that part? I don't know, because... I was like, oh, she's gone. And she, they, they kept showing her in the trailers. And and she got the with credit in the credits. Like, it was like, with Mia Wasikowska as Nick Fury. Like, she got the, like, the with credit. <laughs> and she's, like, in it for, I don't know, like a minute? I don't know. I'm sure he pitched her this way. I'm sure he was like, hey, hey, Mia, I want you to be in my movie. You're going to have 45 seconds of screen time. But your character is going to play an overarching presence in this film. So you'll be felt in and every single scene. Was like... And Mia felt that she was present in every scene. <laughs> <laughs> so this this is a pretty dark world, pretty dark subject matter for this episode. But I think we know how to brighten things up. Let's get into the Arnie's podcast yeah. awards. Hell yeah. Austin, I want you to lead us off. Ooh, okay. 
we haven't had a chance to touch on this yet in today's episode, but I'm going to give the could have used a dialogue coach award to Robert Pattinson because he refused to work with a dialogue coach for this film, like flat out refused, said he would do his own research and then said he invented his own Southern accent for this film. And that was not a Southern accent, whatever he was doing. <laughs> goes my point. It's not in the South. Like, why I, do people I, have I, Southern accent? It definitely yeah. keeps going. Yeah. I agree with it, but I still loved it. I didn't even care. I was no, just, it was I good. It, yeah, it was it's good. It's not a it Southern just... accent, though. Or I got, what do you even call it? An Ohioan accent? Who, I don't know. <laughs> it was fine, but just whatever accent he was doing in, in this film is not anything I've heard anywhere across America. <laughs> so it is, That is fair. <laughs> I, guess, I guess it's good he said he made it up because he didn't get it from anybody else. <laughs> I agree, I agree. Keith, what you got? Alright. My award goes to a character that is easily forgettable in this movie. It goes to Bobo. The guy that Lee kills in the house. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> and the the award is the best omelet maker. Oh! To Bobo. Yeah. He was making good eggs. Good for that guy. Yeah, that is good. Isn't and he talking Lee about him, him too? Isn't he like, I like my eggs moist or something like that? Yeah, he's just talking about eggs. <laughs> he's like, like, you eat breakfast? He's like, no. Or he's like, yeah. And then <laughs> he's like, I'm making eggs. And then, <laughs> and then, then Lee just shoots him in the head. <laughs> okay, Matthew, let me hear your award. My award is one I've been waiting to give for 10 years. Oh. And this award is most surprisingly sexy. And it's going to fucking Dudley Dursley. Where did this guy come from? He's looking pretty good. He's looking good since Harry Potter, Prisoner of Azkaban. Does he make you want to lay in a bed full of live spiders with him? Yeah, let's do it. Let's make it happen, Dudley. I'll be there. You gonna be there? I'll be there. Alrighty. Well, everybody, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss any of our upcoming episodes. Um, also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we really do appreciate that so we can continue to grow this show. At The Arnie's is our social, and thearnies.media is the website. We'll be back on Tuesday for the Star Wars series and a discussion on 2016's Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. And everybody, you cannot miss the podcast within the podcast of the decade. It's the boys talking the boys. And this is where every Thursday you can catch Austin and I, and hopefully Keith at some point when he catches up, we're talking The Boys Season 2, breaking down each episode as it comes out, so stop on over there. Last week we talked about Episode 5, so we'll only have, or is that true? Was it Episode 5 or 6? Austin, I can't remember. It was Episode 5, this week will be Episode 6. Perfect. We only have a few episodes left, so come stop on over if you're watching The Boys and you want to hear us break it down. Yeah, and that's, that's every Thursday, and Keith, why don't you tell our audience where they can find us on social media. Check us out on Instagram, at the Arnie's. Feel free to send your comments on this podcast or upcoming episodes. And, announcement, we are now on IMDb. Oh! So check us out on there, too. We are. Yeah, give us a rating on IMDb. Why not? It says we're a TV show, even though we're a podcast. I didn't have any control of that. But hey, go check us out on IMDb and give us some ratings over there. Who cares? We'll make it work. Good episode, people. Excited for the... Like I said last time, whenever we were, I think on the boys episode, I was I was telling Austin, like, man, I just looked at the episode schedule for the rest of the year. We got some good stuff coming up. I'm excited. It's going to be a good coming months. Yeah, we have we have some yeah. fun stuff coming up for sure. Star Wars series will be wrapping up soon. So we've got some new, new episodes coming your way there as well. Um, and like Keith said, if you have a show idea, 
send us a message on Instagram. We're always looking for new ideas. Feel free. If there's something you want us to talk about, want us to break it down, send us a note and we can work that into our schedule. All right. Bye, everybody. Thank you guys so much for listening. And the Arnie's decided this was their best podcast episode yet. (laughs) 